This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 17th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. State election laws vary widely, and the ability for average people to engage in effective speech on behalf of candidates or propositions is often unclear. The Institute for Free Speech has begun cataloging state laws governing speech in the political arena. Scott Blackburn is the author of The Free Speech Index. In the heat of an election, uh, candidates say things. Candidates' proxies say things. People who are unaffiliated with the campaign engage in independent expenditures, and they say things, all in an attempt to earn the votes of voters on Election Day. So uh, to what extent do states uh, prevent people from making statements? And to what extent do uh, and how do they differ across states in, in terms of actually saying, oh, you, you can't say that. We're close to an election. You can't say it. And it wasn't that long ago the federal government had laws on the books that uh, would actively prevent movies, publications from being shown. But uh, what, what happens at the state level? So there are three major ways that states attempt to regulate what you can say in a political election. Uh, the first and, and most direct is, as you said, some states continue to have laws that say we can prosecute you or someone can sue you for your false political speech. So if you run a political ad, we think it's false. We can we can come after you for that speech that has been ruled unconstitutional, has been ruled unconstitutional for almost 20 years now in a case called SBA list v. dry house. Nonetheless, about half the states continue to have laws like that on the books, including my home state of Ohio, where SBA v. dry house was played out. Uh, what what decisions like that do is it means that if you are looking up the law, if you're an amateur, if you're trying to figure out what you can and cannot do it may seem like you you could be sued for what's in your political ad. You cannot be. The, the, that case would not go forward. Uh, but it, it affects the, your speech and chills what, what you're willing to do. I, uh, a good friend of mine is a campaign finance attorney and has been for decades at very high levels. And when he gets approached, he tells me that at least when he gets approached by mom and pop, you know, a bunch of guys together with a cigar box full of money that want to spend it to influence local elections. Uh, his honest advice to them uh, is don't. And, and that is because of the complicated nature of laws that amateurs are trying to interpret and do not understand the complications of engaging in core political uh, speech. That's right. The, the chairman of my organization, Bradley Smith, was the former uh, chairman of the Federal Election Commission. Uh, when he was there, he kept a file of letters he got from amateurs across the country who did engage in political speech and wrote to him to say, I will never do this again. It was so hard. It was such a headache. I had to file paperwork on so many different levels, uh, which brings me to the next uh, really larger problem of how states restrict what you can say which is incredibly overbroad definitions uh, that don't immediately appear to be about speech. Things like how they define an expenditure, a political expenditure. Uh, most of the states, nearly all of them, have very broad expenditure definitions so that things that normal people would not think of as political speech, 
uh, you know, small amounts of Facebook ads about an issue, about marijuana legalization, about police reform, uh, somehow get them regulated as if they're running for governor in the same fashion as if they're running for governor. And what that means from a regulatory standpoint is now you have to file uh, hundreds of reports throughout the year. You have to meet those deadlines. You have all kinds of donor disclosure requirements. Even if you have no donors, uh, you have to you have to essentially hire an attorney to figure out the morass of bureaucratic laws surrounding campaigns uh, for what you didn't know was in any way related to anything but an ad you wanted to buy on the internet. So uh, when average people try to navigate this, there is not sort of a go-to understanding of what they can do and what they can't do. And it's weird to think that, you know, in a country with a First Amendment where that the understanding of the First Amendment um, doesn't differ that much as, as a matter of law, states have wildly different laws. W wildly different. So much so that uh, it's almost a 50-50 shot for a lot of things you can do as to whether or not you can do it in your state. So if you want to mention the name of a candidate, uh, not not necessarily in an election context because he's running, uh, you know, he, he's pushing a bill in, in your state Senate that you don't like. Uh, in about 50% of states, there are some times when you can't do that without a regulatory, uh, you know, burden falling on your head. In the other 50%, you can do that anytime you like. Uh, if you want to do uh, grassroots lobbying, if you want to sort of uh, petition you know, get signatures for a certain issue. You want to uh, run ads saying that you care about some particular issue, not even legislation. In about 30 states, that's totally fine. You can do that whenever you want. In the other 20 states, there are rules and regulations for when you can do that. And there's no rhyme or reason, mainly because legislators don't think of any of these burdens as First Amendment burdens. Uh, the only people who tend to think of them that way are the people who are actually speaking, who are actually engaging in the grassroots activity. And Kim, Campaigns themselves, I guess they have a, a pretty much a wide berth of how they operate, and campaigns have lawyers on staff to tell them what the law is. But average people, uh, you know, if they just want to spend a few thousand dollars here to get some particular message out, uh, hiring a lawyer would eat up all of that money. Uh, absolutely. And campaigns uh, are run by politicians who are then the legislators themselves. Uh, and so it's the, it's the most quintessential example of regulatory capture that exists. Uh, these legislators necessarily think they're the experts on making rules about political speech, um, and they think things that should be regulated for them need to be regulated for everyone. They think that's fair. Uh, because it's the same for everyone. When the burden on campaigns, because they are the regulators, because they are the ones, uh, you know, t potentially being uh, corrupted by any of these influences, should be fundamentally different from average American speaking. And politicians are not known for their thick skin. They are not. And and you see, um, you see examples of these laws cropping up in red states and blue states, and almost always. Uh, if you dig deeply into these laws, you see the legislators going after a particularly new form of speech because they didn't like it in their last election cycle. In the last several years, this last several election cycles, a lot of people have been doing a lot of more digital advertising. And I can only imagine 
that these uh, state lawmakers don't understand how that works and would like to regulate it? How have states uh, attempted to get around that darn First Amendment when it comes to uh, digital advertising, which we, we have to have to admit, like it, it, during a pandemic, that would have been the best pe- way to reach people. Door knockers are not uh, people going around door to door to talk to people. That wasn't really a thing in 2020. So what most states have done is try to shoehorn their regulation of TV advertising into digital spaces, or at least a handful of states have have attempted to do this um, with the idea that a TV ad and a Facebook ad are are, are the same thing. Um, the problem with that being that a television ad runs you many thousands of dollars, uh, Facebook ad runs you a couple hundred dollars, which means the people you're capturing with this particular regulation are fundamentally different um, and should be given greater leeway and greater freedom to to run those ads on on particular platforms that they think are most effective. Uh, we should embrace the idea that you can run digital ads on on almost everything. Uh, the idea that because it exists, we must regulate it is uh, it fund- fundamentally uh, misses the point. We, we should figure out why it's bad. Uh, you know, what's wrong with digital ads? Is there a problem? Is it corrupting someone? Is it causing uh, a serious problem in our democracy? Otherwise, we should assume that it is good because it's political speech, the, the most fundamental kind of speech the First Amendment is meant to protect. And, and it, it's worth noting here, uh, you know, one thing I've learned about political campaigns is that a an incumbent is perfectly fine with having low name ID in their district or in their in the area that they represent because they know how to go and approach their voters. Uh, there is not any controversy around their record that's being discussed, and political advertising tends to perform that valuable public service of alerting people who live in an area that uh, this person is representing you, and maybe this person isn't doing a very good job. Exactly. And most people think of political ads in the largest context, in the presidential uh, context. You know, you see ads from from President Biden, from former President Trump, uh, and you think of those, you know, sort of terrible stereotypical ads as all political ads. A tremendous amount of political ads at the state level are simply to say, hey, my name is Joe Smith and I am running for election. Um, that is that is the most valuable dollar you can spend on the campaign trail. It's that first one to tell people I am running. And then the second one tells people I am running because of X. And the third one tells people I am running because of X and my opponent uh, is not doing a good job. Th- those first three dollars are the dollars that are are most quintessentially important for campaigns. And they're also the ones that regulators like to get at the most. They're the ones that they like to, to come at the, the most with their laws. So uh, what was the most surprising thing about this uh, free speech index that you put together? I would say the most surprising thing was how many uh, states are underperforming in sort of fundamental areas of of uh political campaign regulation or expenditure regulation simply because 
they don't think of it as a speech issue at all. I think many of these states have no idea how broad some of their definitions are of the kind of things that it captures. And only when the the election enforcement agencies in these states go after people who uh, ran a website and uh published a 20-page paper on why the you know pro-life movement is wrong and then at the end of it said and that's why you should re- you should vote no on this ballot measure and suddenly there are a political committee filing like a governor in that state um this is a real story that happened in Colorado uh that kind of effect of these laws clearly unintended even from the legislator standpoint is widespread i would say 40 six to 47 of the states have definitions like this where someone could get caught up in that particular story. Just my virtue of advocating for the election or defeat of a candidate in an ad. Or a ballot measure, yeah. Uh, or and, and being otherwise unaffiliated with that campaign. That's correct. So uh, are, is there a partisan bent to this? That is, you, you mentioned that both red states and blue states have problematic laws that inhibit free uh, political speech, but is do you expect a certain kind of law in a blue state? Do you expect a certain kind of law in a red state? And can you say with confidence which uh, states that are dominated by this or that political party are relatively better or worse about it? Or is is it totally incoherent? It's not quite totally incoherent. There's definitely some trends along the lines. You see in particular that uh, Democratic-run states, states that have traditionally been run by Democrats for a long period of time, uh, tend to be more aggressive about finding new ways to regulate speech. So they'll pass new laws that are like, oh, there there was an ad I didn't see regulated. We got to find a way to capture that in the the environment. Um, So you see that as a tendency more in, in blue states, but there are definitely many uh, very uh, badly written laws in red states. Florida, Alaska, traditionally red states are some of the worst performing in this index. Um, and a lot of those laws predate sort of modern debates about about campaign finance and, and campaigns in general. But some of them are simply those states also are run by incumbents who want to find ways to restrict what, what can can be said about incumbents in the state. The last thing you want as an incumbent is some upstart uh, person who is well apprised of a clear, simple law to allow them to facilitate them being able to point out how terrible a particular politician is. And that's not a partisan thing. That's just politicians would prefer to define the story about themselves and not let anyone else do it. I think that's exactly right. They want to control the message. Controlling the message is a big part of political campaigns from a storytelling perspective, uh, from a campaigning perspective. And so politicians think from a legislator's perspective, it should also be my job to control the message. I think one of the downsides of this is that these laws have been for, for the past 20 years, for maybe the past 30 years, we've seen more and more of these laws get on the books, um, more and more of this control of the message in political campaigns. And that means we've gotten more of this partisanship of, of two sides with the power controlling the message in different places across the country. Uh, but it means that things that are off message, things that are tangential, things that cross party lines, things that neither party wants to do, those are the ones that effectively get regulated out. 
Scott Blackburn is author of the Free Speech Index. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 